Heavenly Father, Lord, this is not about making money. It's not about business models. It's about learning about you. It's about being prepared for the eternal kingdom that's set before us. Father, as we contemplate the ministry that you set before us, as we contemplate what it looks like, how to do it, how to be efficient at it, how to uh, be able to meet the demands and the needs of the physical realities, I pray that we not lose the, the purpose, the purpose that we come into the garden, we see the object lessons, we garden with angels, that we meet with you, we walk with you, and that we ultimately are conformed by what we view, that we behold you and become changed into your image, that we go into the cities and we have this outreach that people don't see us, but they see you. Father, as we enter into this, I pray you would guide and direct, that you would speak in us and through us, that as people are here, that they would they would be able to hear your spirit speaking to them. Those things that I may have a faulty understanding, those things that I might uh, be failing at in my own life, I pray you cover. I pray that they would hear what you have from them and that we would be hid behind your cross. I pray in Jesus' name. For his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I understand fundamentally that the practical is of dire necessity. But if we get lost in the practical and the practical and the practical, we will not find ourselves in a good place, I don't think. And so this presentation, don't be dissuaded. There will be tons of practical. We're going to get to the practical stuff, but this is really what the practical is pointing you to. So that object lesson. The system of education instituted at the beginning of the world was to be the model for man throughout all afterlife as an illustration of its principles, a model school was established in Eden. The home of our first parents, the garden, the home of our first parents. The Garden of Eden was the classroom, nature was the lesson book, the creator himself was the instructor, and the parents of the human family were the students. How many people have read that? How many people here have read the book Education? That is fundamental, and this might sound crazy, but that is a fundamental book for agriculture in my mind. In my mind, to understand agriculture, that is an excellent book to start with. Um, if I had come to farming through a business model, like if my approach to farming had been economics or any idea surrounding that, whatever that might mean to you, I definitely would not have lasted one season. And when I say that, I'm making reference to my farm. When I entered into this, I wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist. When I entered into this, I was a, a Sunday-keeping Christian. I probably had ideas about it when I was not even a Christian. And when I entered in, it was a very um, lucrative, which sounds a little counterintuitive to most people's experience. But if I was in Seattle, Washington, there's a huge market. We were in the Snoqualmie Valley. The soil is really hard to fail. Like you, you just plant things and they grow. Your biggest issue is keeping the weed pressure down and letting the plants do what they want to do. If you're willing to work hard, you will have a ton of food and you can take it into Seattle and they will buy every bit of it at very high dollar. And we were very successful. With the Black Hills edu Education Center, in that process, we became Seventh-day Adventists. 
went to the Black Hills Health and Education Center, worked there for four seasons, and the trials were insurmountable. I'll say it that way. We had hell three out of four years that just devastated, destroyed everything. Never missed a CSA. We had a 50-person CSA. We would get hell storms the size of tennis balls, some as big as softballs. I mean, crazy. Wipe out everything. The Lord still provided through the whole thing. It was an amazing experience, but economically, it was just devastating. And so we did that for four years, really felt compelled and led, as I said before, to, to expand that, or I say expand it. In my mind, it was expanding. We started our own farm. We wanted to build an ark, as I said. We're all told we should be building arks. We need to have these, these places outside of cities where we're ministering in the cities, right? And so when we came to our farm, I had started brassicas, all the spring crops, all these things. We were putting them out in the field. I planted them all out in the field like I always do. They turned purple and didn't grow another leaf. And I thought, oh, geez, oh, that's a terrible thing to say. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, whatever. I was awful. I was praying to the Lord. What do I do now? If my model had been economics, every person, and I'm not kidding you, almost every person I talked to said, you need to find another piece of property. And I kept praying about it, and I knew the Lord had led us. We had no money. When we bought this place, we didn't have the money for the down payment. The money came. We didn't have a tractor. We didn't have irrigation. We didn't have seeds. We had nothing. We had $8,000, and that all went to the down payment. I don't even know how we were going to make payments on the house. We knew nothing about how we were going to succeed at this. And so economics was quite important. But in my mind, I knew the Lord had opened all those doors, or else we couldn't have been there. And so I was pretty settled. I mean, I won't say that I didn't have... Times when I was in prayers, crying in the field, saying, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? And um, last year, my wife quit her job because the farm supports us now. But what, what, uh, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to convey is, is that I was called to something higher than a business model. This was ministry. This was me being fit for heaven. And I am a... I come from a background where I'm, you can pull yourself up from your bootstraps, you know, that self-confidence, you can get it done. I come from a place where I was a professional skateboarder. I, was, I succeeded at things. I didn't fail at things. The first year I had to call our CSA and say, um, I have to cancel the CSA because I don't have any food. Like the humility, the humble, <laughs> talk about being humbled, embarrassed, and, and humiliated. You know, you have all these years and you're so confident that you can do this thing and then you have to turn around and tell everybody you can't do this thing. And it really taught me that you have to trust God in spite of what seems like failure. He knows what I need. And so whatever the trial is, we can rest in that trial knowing that this isn't a plan to make money. This isn't a plan to be successful in the world's eyes. This is a plan for me to be fit for a heavenly kingdom, for me to be a, a proper representation of my heavenly father so that when I go into the city and I'm at the farmer's market, they don't see me, but they see a reflection in me of something much greater. So that being said, we'll move on to our next slide. Our idea of education, take too narrow and too low a range. If you don't, you're here to get education, right? As soon as you move into the field and you're there for 14 years, let's say, I've been there 12 years, you're still in education. 
your education is not going to end if you're in the garden. And so it's fundamentally grounded and based in, in education. It's unavoidable. It, you can't get around it. And so the quotes on education, that's why this book is so fundamental to you, because this is where God met with Adam to teach him. This is the schoolhouse. Now, I'm saying that in confidence. And so I want you to understand that it is a beautiful journey. And you will be tested to your very limits. But God will not give you more than you can bear. And with every temptation, there is a way of escape. Everyone knows this, right? Head knowledge almost always fails you. It has to be an experiential knowledge. We have to experience this thing because our experience is what we will pull from when the crisis truly comes. And if we keep insulating ourselves from the, the privation and that hardship, we will not understand that hardship when it truly arrives. And so this is the why in my mind. And I'm not, I promise you we'll get to the practical, although the practical, I promise you, is not the point. The practical is only a picture of the spiritual. All right. Our idea of education takes too narrow and too low a range. There is a need of a broader scope, a higher aim. The education, education means more than a, than a pursuit of a certain course of study. It means more than the preparation for the life that now is. It has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. It prepares the students for the joy of service in this world and the higher joy and of wider service in the world to come. When we go to the farmer's market, you are in service. And everybody recognizes that service. Yeah? Who here recognizes that service? When you go to the farmer's market, whether you're serving them from a spiritual standpoint or literally putting food on their plate, when that person comes up, when, when, when a mother and her daughter comes up to your booth, and they buy food from you, you recognize and realize that fundamentally they are trusting you to nourish their bodies, that their minds might have clarity, that they might be able to think. And even if they don't know God, if they think clear, what happens? They can hear God clear. So we have this high service, and that's pretty easy to see. And that's all well and good and great, but what I'm going to tell you is that when you're in the field, that's where that service begins. This community that you, you get involved with, these, this plant community, this biological systems community, it's all fundamentally service. When we serve, we become an example. When we serve correctly, we can, we can hold the truth in unrighteousness, we can have the truth, and we can serve poorly. We can not hold the truth and serve well. That's how all these other people that are not Christians even have crazy ideas about whatever have all this success because they recognize service is a reality and they just implement the reality. And so when we come and we look at the ground and we say, what's the problem? As we approach those problems, it's a problem of service. When the trial comes, it's not a trial because it should break us. It shouldn't destroy us. It should strengthen us. We meet these challenges because what did we come to do? To be served or to serve? To serve. And so service starts at the very beginning of the process. And how well we serve will manifest itself 
and the outcome. That doesn't mean tomorrow we're going to have perfect vegetables and fruits, but it does mean that in the process of that service, things will reach to the level of perfection, yeah? That's the idea. That's the goal. All right, now... This is on John the Baptist. The training of John was not to be in accordance with the ordinary customs of society. He was to be instrumental in giving new direction to the thoughts of the people of his day and awakening them to the necessity of a nobler type of manhood. God would have the character of his servant modeled after the divine model. The wilderness was his schoolroom, the mountains his familiar haunts, there he learned to deny himself and to cultivate simplicity of diet and of dress. His habits of life were so pure and so natural that his ideas were not perverted and his character was not wrapped by the wrong influences which, was afterward, after, which he was afterward called to meet. The great book of nature was the inexhaustible, with its inexhaustible stores was open before the prophet he was fitted through, what's that word? Privation. Privation. And hardship to control his physical and mental powers that he might stand among the people as unmoved by surrounding circumstances as the rocks and the mountains of the wilderness. The world's Redeemer said of John, <clears throat> Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. I think that's GH, page 11. Good health. Good health. Good health. Thank, Thank you. you, yes. <clears throat> Who is John? According to Christ, who's John? What's that? Forerunner of the Messiah. Forerunner of the Messiah? He's Elijah, right? <coughs> who's, who else is John? The greatest prophets. I can ask questions. I'm, in, I'm talking. I can ask we'll questions. Repeat what they say. The I'm repeating them. Brother Swain. Who else is John the Baptist? We have the three Elijahs. Elijah, John the Baptist. And us. And us. <clears throat> this is the education we're supposed to be having. What's, what was his experience? Privation and hardship. Get ready, get ready, get ready. All right. The number, you want the quote first? Review and Herald, page 3974. Review and Herald, page. 3974. It's the page number? That's my quote is from the page number. The number who responded to the call to leave Babylon. You might ask yourself why I'm bringing this up. What's that got to do with agriculture? It was disappointingly small. I promise you when you do this, people are going to think you're crazy. 
I have a friend, he, he was going to go to school for law. He decided to drop all his classes to become a farmer. I mean, he called me in tears because the reaction of his family and his friends was that they were totally befuddled at his decision because they couldn't understand why he would choose such an irrational thing to do. My experience was that he was making a choice of eternal consequence. Now, I'm not saying people shouldn't go be lawyers. If the, God, if the Lord calls you to be a lawyer, then by all means go be a lawyer. But I, my experience, my understanding is it's the exception, not the rule. And so, you are going to feel very disappointed at how small it is often. We come here and it seems not small, but when you go back to your farm and there's one or two people that are an hour away, it can feel overwhelming. I just wanted to chime in there. And at times when it feels so insurmountable and you just want to quit, the Lord always brings encouragement. So either a person to help you or a package in the mail or a letter from a friend, something the Lord always is with you all along the way to bring encouragements to keep you going. So I'll finish the quote. Ezra had expected that a large number would return, but many of those who had acquired houses and lands had no desire to sacrifice these possessions. They loved ease and comfort rather than hardship and privation. Hmm. And were well satisfied to remain. Their example proved a hindrance to many who might otherwise have chosen to cast in their lot with God's people and advance by faith. If you do what's right by faith, what do we call that? I can't hear you? Righteousness by faith. That's a complicated subject. I'm not trying to insinuate that agriculture is righteousness by faith. But I promise you, if you want to understand Righteousness by faith, the nature of a man. There is a schoolhouse that was designed to lead man higher and higher and higher in a knowledge of who God is when he was in a perfect state. And there has been no devising of man that has improved upon that plan. I have... 12 slides. We're on slide 6. I'm going to have to end here, but I, I want to encourage you. Oh, Alan says I got 7 minutes, so I'll read the next so slide. If you want to give the Review and Herald um, where it's at. Okay. Right Review and Herald, February 13, 1908, paragraph 3. Instead right. of the page number. I use a different software, so I get my references differently. Sorry. There, there, she asked if there's a slide I want more than I want you to read them all but <laughs> so we'll just trust the Lord put them in the order he wanted them we will also post all of our slides on the Adventist Agriculture Association website so probably by tomorrow I'll have them all up there so you guys can print them when you get home and have all the quotes manuscript 85 1908 I'm sure the Lord put these in the right order 
I can't read that, it's too small. In the movement of 1844, when we believed the coming of Christ was at hand, night after night, when bidding good night to those of like faith, we would grasp their hands, feeling that we might not clasp them again until we should meet in the kingdom of glory. Do you feel that way? If you don't feel that way, then you need to look around you and realize the hour in which we live. Now, I'm not saying Christ is coming tomorrow morning, but He is at the door. Brothers and sisters, we do not have time. Get ready, get ready, get ready. This is the message of the hour. The get ready isn't this idea that you enter into all the reforms, dress reform, we read John the Baptist, diet reform, we read John the Baptist, out in the country, right? Starting these farms. You understand these are side effects. These are side effects of an obedient heart that's been converted. This, the law will never save you. Paul says that he had the law, he kept it perfectly. When the law came, it destroyed him, it killed him. This is to point you to Christ. This is to point you to an image of Jesus Christ. When you behold Him, it will do something to you. We are called Laodiceans for a reason, and we have a high calling. We're supposed to rise up out of that dead sleep and make a midnight cry. We're supposed to bring a message to the world, but we have to experience this thing first. Thus, it will be Again, as we draw near the close of time, I urge our people to make it their life work to seek for spirituality. Amen. Christ is at the door. This is why I say to our people, do not consider it a privation when you are called to leave the city and move out to, into the country places. Here there await rich blessings for those who will grasp them. By beholding the scenes of nature, the work of the Creator, by studying God's handiwork, imperceptibly, you will be changed into the same image. From glory to glory. We are not evolutionist. We go from glory to glory. If you go out into the country for a business model, I pray that you fail and you come face to face with the hardship and privation that will drive you to your knees, that will lead you to a place where you are desperate for that which you cannot do for yourself. And that you find a God that can make that stony heart into flesh. And that you will have this, I'm, I may never see you again, and, and I'm sorry, but we need to have this experience where we know that we cannot take care of ourselves and we have one and one only who will do that thing for us that we cannot do for ourselves. You cannot change the heart. All you can do is put your will on his side. Now, I'm going to finish and let Alan and Aubrey come up. This is the introduction of why we do what we do. We will get to the practical. We will get to those things that you need to know to be successful at it. But I don't want you to miss the fundamental groundwork that needs to be laid in this is life and death. We have to have this experience. So just starting out, I was made keenly aware of this the other day. 
but just for clarification's point, Aubrey and I are brother and sister, not husband and wife, for those of you who don't know us. So it's not that I don't love my sister, you know, it'd be great to find someone like her, but she is my sister. So just putting that out as clarification there for anyone who doesn't know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, yeah. Okay. So just to give us a, just to give you a little bit of an introduction about ourselves, we, um, we're from South Central Oklahoma. We have, we just purchased property in 2016, 20 acres. We've been farming for several years, but it was only recently that we relocated and moved to uh, better growing land. And we had a bunch of pictures and stuff that we were gonna show you, but due to circumstances, that's not happening today. So, um, our folks are giving the plenary on Friday in the main hall. So you get to hear our story from our parents' perspective. So you'll at least get some of that, but we just wanted to give you a little bit of context. My brother is actually the head gardener, the gardener, farmer. I'm his assistant, and I love being his assistant. I'm his older sister. So for any of you older siblings out there, you have an idea of what it took for me to become willing to be his assistant. Um, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. <laughs> but it's been, it's been really great. The last five years have taught me a lot. I love working for him. Um, we work really well together. But we just wanted to share with you a little bit. M most of the time. Most, most of the time. time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. That's true. If you had seen what we were like as little kids, you would be glorifying God at this point, because it was not all, uh, all that great as little kids, but, uh, but God is merciful, and grace is a real thing, isn't it? Amen. So, we, um, we have been fascinated by this little graph on the screen. It's called the golden circle, and if any of you yeah, if any of you, are, how many of you have heard of a man named Simon Sinek? Anyone? Okay, a couple people. So Simon Sinek is a leader in, um, what is it called, business consulting. He does a lot of business consulting, leadership. He's written several books. One of his most popular ones is called Start With Why. So if any of you like reading and enjoy reading leadership books or business books, or anything that just really stretches your mind, Start With Why is a really fascinating book. And that's where this concept of the Golden Circle came up with. He actually coined the term. He, he, he didn't create the idea, but he looked at the scenario and then coined this term based off of these scenarios. Um, and his, like his theme phrase is, People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And he challenges businesses and organizations to really step back and look at why they do things. Because it drives their business, their organization, their church, their family in ways that the what never could. Um, so we're going to try to, we have done quite a bit of thinking along the lines of what our why is. What is that underlying, that purpose, the reason that makes us get up in the morning, the, uh, 
the reason that keeps us going when things get really tough, like Michelle and Larry were talking about, farming is not a cakewalk. Um, so what keeps, what keeps you going? What really gives you purpose and drive? And what is it that people, when they're looking at what you're doing, that they really see? So his classic example when he's explaining this, he has several, but his big example is Macintosh, is Apple. And he talks about the why of Apple is we believe in challenging the status quo. That's their why. They just happen to make amazing computers, amazing phones, amazing what? So in reality, when you're buying into Apple, you're buying their why, not so much their what. Does that make any sense? To, to get it expounded more, you can go to YouTube and look out, start with why. There's a TED Talk that Simon Sinek did, and he does a much better job of explaining this whole concept. But to get moving, we're going to go ahead and share with you our why for Better Together Farm. Why we do what we do and what we hope comes across to our customers, to our community, to our church, and to you guys. Hopefully something that inspires you as well. Um, so in thinking of why, it's really actually a difficult thing to distill it down to why it is that you do what you do. It's really easy to get caught up in these other reasons, which we're going to, pres to, to share just a few of those as well, but to drill down as far as possible and find that why. So in preparing for this presentation, we found a quote from Christ Object Lessons that we thought really just help make it clear in our minds. Okay, so this is the quote from Christ Object Lessons. <clears throat> Christ Object Lessons, page 456. It is the privilege of every soul to be a living channel through which God can communicate to the world the treasures of his grace. There is nothing that Christ desires so much as agents who will represent to the world his spirit and character. So this concept of being a living channel and being constantly available, constantly accessible, constantly surrendered in such a way that God can use us all the time. Alan's going to be sharing uh, the devotional thought on Friday morning, right? So I really encourage you to go to that because he's going to be breaking down a little bit more of understanding the concept of grace and how it changes our lives. So this, this idea of treasures of his grace, it's a really, really powerful concept and one that we've been learning a lot this last year. But if we were just to distill it down, our why for Better Together Farm is being living channels through which God can communicate to the world the treasures of his grace. All the time. So we want to share just a couple stories on kind of how you see that why in, in action or making it a little bit more concrete because it's really easy to look at these quotes and, and to not really associate them to the practic practical everyday daily grind kind of experience. And there have been a couple, we've had actually several, but the couple we want to share with you is just like really like, wow, God is really wanting to make this happen in our lives and in our farm. So, do you want to share the couple stories? 
why don't you share the first one and then I'll share the second one. Too. Okay. So at Better Together Farm, we, uh, we sell direct to customer at this point. We have been doing it for about five years and every year we've done it differently. Um, experimenting, try to figure out what works best. But at this point, we sell direct to customers, which means we do all the growing, the harvesting, the packing, and we take it and deliver it to the customer. Well, we don't deliver it directly, but we come in direct contact with our customers. And because of that, we've been able to forge a lot of really, really neat friendships and really neat connections in our community. And one of these friendships is an... Um, probably middle-aged couple um, who absolutely love um, the fresh organic produce. It's not something that you find in our area, and so they're just really, really big fans of it. The wife does. Um, she makes her own lotions and salves, and like she's really into the essential oils, and that kind of a person, really kind of into the natural living and, and looking at eating healthy and so they're kind of like this perfect niche customer for what we do and over the last couple years they've been buying from us um, and it's really neat for Alan and myself being homeschooled all our life we have more of a natural connection to adults we we like hanging out with adults and and becoming friends and so we get to do that a lot with our customers because most of them are all significantly older than we are. Um, but to just kind of have this almost peer relationship is really quite fun. Um, and that's what we've been able to forge with this, this couple. And it got to the point where they volunteered to come out and help on the farm. We were needing to tear out a bunch of stuff after the season was over. And they're like, hey, we'll come help. And so they came out, and we were working, and Al and I were working with uh, the husband, and uh, he just starts sharing with us about his life and about his kids and how his older son, his oldest son, is basically a complete wreck. He is, I think, probably in his 30s. He's on meth. His wife is on meth. They have four kids or three kids, and... They don't have custody of them anymore. And it's just like this huge, huge, huge mess. And we're just kind of working and we're just like, man, that's, that's, these kind of conversations come up. And come to find out, he's a uh, certified electrician. Well, on the farm, we need to do a lot of things that require electricity and so you experiment a lot on the farm but you just don't experiment with electricity I found that it's <laughs> just you know oh I wonder what oh you know so you just so to have someone that knows so Mr. E um volunteered his wisdom and experience to Alan he's like hey if you ever need any help with electrical work I'm happy to come and help you and so He's come over several times and helped Alan. He helped us install a lot of our electric stuff on our new farm. Just been this huge blessing. But where it starts connecting is one time he stayed for lunch and he's sharing with us his, what's going on with his family and he starts crying at the table. And we're like, man, is it all right if we pray with you? He's like, I would love that. And so we just... We get there and we pray with him and we, you know, ask the Lord to bless him and his wife and to be with his son and their kids. And, I mean, this kind of thing. And these folks, they're amazing Christian people. Um, 
but they've kind of been burned by the whole church, uh, organized. organized church sort of thing. And we invited them to come to our, our church does a Christmas concert every year, and we invited them to come to our Christmas concert, and they came to our Christmas concert. And they absolutely love the Christmas concert, and it's a really nice Christmas concert. Um, but they absolutely loved it, and they stayed behind, and they visited with us more. And then the next day, she calls me, or sometime a little bit later, she calls me, and she goes, Aubrey, um, we just found out that our son's in jail. He got caught doing drugs. Can you put me in touch with your pastor? Because I know he, he, he said he does prison ministries. Is it possible that you could put me in touch with your pastor? I mean, these kind of... These kind of situations, it's not like you just walk someone off. Usually people don't walk off the street and be like, hey, would you mind getting me in touch with your pastor? Because I mean, it's just like, but this friendship that's built up over the last couple of years, and now it's like we're really incredible friends with them, and we're able to bring them to the Lord, which is the ultimate goal in our minds, this living channel connecting them to the treasures of grace. It's like one of these why come to life right in front of your eyes. This is really amazing, Lord. So this is a journey in progress, but we just wanted to share because this is really encouraging. It makes, you know, all of those hours and hours and weeks and weeks of being outside, working hard, worth it when you have these kind of experiences. So my story, don't you love these names? It's almost like the spirit of prophecy. Mr. A is not being very nice, and Mr. B should apologize. Yeah, have you ever read those? Anyways, anyways. So that's kind of what's going on here, you know, saving people. Anyways, but um, Mr. B is a very unique individual. He actually works for a fairly influential organization with the, in the state of Oklahoma that actually has an agricultural side to it. And he asked, uh, we met him at a, at a meeting, a general meeting, and he asked us, uh, he's like, I want to go see your farm. And so he comes to our farm, and mom's like, well, do you want to stay for lunch? And he's like, sure. And he's, he's probably in his 30s, I'd say, very secular individual. If you were to ask him if, you know, if he was religious, he would probably say he's atheist. This is the type of background, a very secular, uh, coming from a very secular point of view. And uh, anyway, so he came over to our house, and we talked a little bit about religion, and it was quite interesting. Um, and then... He, um, uh, we've, we've connected over the years, and then he asked us to do a presentation for some people in his organization, so we talked about our farm, and we actually shared something very similar to what we're about to share as far as kind of some of the hows and the benefits, and um, anyways, he sends me an email about one of my comments um, that I'd made during that presentation about glyphosate, and uh, that's the active ingredient in Roundup, if you guys don't know, and so we were talking about this, and it goes from talking about glyphosate and how it affects the soil, and we completely switched to the state of the dead. It was a really weird kind of situation. I'm like, whoa, I was not expecting this. And so um, we start talking about the state of the dead, and then he talks about, he starts talking about why, you know, he's, he's bitter against religion because of historical viewpoints. And because I come from an Adventist viewpoint, I can say, look, you have a lot of legitimate reasons to be frustrated with religion because it's true. As Protestants, as Adventists, we agree with a lot of these things. We shouldn't try to defend Christianity when people have represented it incorrectly, right? And so we go through this type of thing and everything, and at the end of our conversation, I told him, look, you know, my desire for each individual is to come to know the truth. Whether you become an Adventist or not, we need to pursue truth. Now, I believe that the Adventist perspective is the truth. So ultimately speaking, I'm thinking 
if he follows this, you know, line, he'll come to this understanding, right? And um, that's kind of a big summary of a very complex conversation. But basically, at the end of the conversation, he says, look, because of my experience, you know, being in um, a religious institution when I was little and then leaving that when I went to college, and he says, but because of observing your family, observing what you're doing, and, and just these types of conversations where we can be open and candid and be real with each other, he says, you haven't completely convinced me against, you know, religion, but he says, I'm rethinking what I've thought about it before. You have, because of your actions, you have now put into what I thought religion was, you've now put that into question, I'm reconsidering my assumptions, which is incredibly powerful. Now, is he gonna come all the way? I don't know, that's not for me to move upon his heart. And I'm not saying this because to take the glory to ourselves, it's by God's grace that he can transform our hearts in such a way that we can be this light because people watch what you do, not what you say you do or what you believe. And it made me think of the quote in the Spirit of Prophecy in Ministry of Healing where she says, one well-ordered, well-disciplined family speaks more volume in favor of the gospel than all the sermons that can be preached. And that, you know, we, and Paul says, look, you are my living epistles to be read of all men by your actions, right? And so it's just a really powerful story that even, you know, we can reach Christians through this. We can reach secular people. It's an, it's an opening wedge because not only are we doing something unique, but by God's grace, we can back up what we say by actions that are relevant and are easily accessible to be seen by everyone. So that kind of takes us to the next step, this idea of how. Now, Alan and I personally believe that there are many ways that this why, this being living channels, is possible to do, like how you do your why. We believe you can do it through medicine. We believe that you can do through education. We believe there's many different ways. But we have landed on agriculture as the how for we accomplish our why. Does that make sense? So there's ways to do it. We've decided at this point in time that the Lord's calling us to agriculture to accomplish this why. And we just want to share with you five reasons why this is not an exhaustive list. And trust me, Alan and I can go on for a long time. So we just try to summarize it and make it as... B billions of years. Billions. Near billions of years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are very. We carry our age very well. <laughs> um, so five reasons why we really see agriculture as being an excellent way to accomplish this why, or to to live this why. This idea of being li living channels of God's grace, and these are these are the five points that we shared. Sorry, can I speak to the first one? Yeah, these are the five points that we were able to share with a group of. Um, Native American young people when they asked us to come and share why we do agriculture. Usually we asked to get, we, usually we're asked to share about how you do agriculture, um, but this time we were asked to share why we do agriculture. So we're like, oh, okay. And so these are the five points that we shared with some Native American young people, um, and we'd like to just briefly go over with you guys. So we believe it's possible. Sorry. What did I do? Just a, just a little dizzy. Go ahead. Okay. We believe it's possible. Now, 
you know, I completely agree with Larry and what he said first. I mean, it is a steep learning curve to try to do this, and we're going to be hopefully shortening that curve for you a bit by, you know, what we've do done. Hopefully you can kind of steer away from some of the things that we've done. But it, it's still a steep learning curve. But even, even, even with that, um, for the small-scale agriculture model that we are trying to do, the economics are in the range of possibility, if that makes sense to you. Like, it's not, it's not like, um, you know, we're going to get to the nearest star or something like seemingly impossible feat that will not be able to be possible. It is possible. It is possible with this scale, with this model. There are people that are doing it. The economics are there. There is a steep learning curve, obviously, but the economics are there. So that's the, that's the, that's the first thing. Let me speak to the second one, Aubrey. Sure. Okay. So the, the need for a new model. Um, there are a lot of models that people bring to actually how to achieve the farm. And the new model that, that when I'm saying a new model, basically the conventional model of agriculture basically says, look, if there's a problem, kill it. If there's a bug, nuke it. And the idea is, is that we're coming into a new realm of agriculture where some of these, some of these um, things that we use to prop up our system artificially are becoming seemingly dysfunctional. And it's, it's almost like the situation with vaccines. It just needs to be stronger. It needs to be a newer one. But ultimately, what happens when your genetic pool runs out and you can't make something stronger? Then we need to go back to the fundamentals and say, why is the system broken? How can we fix it? And uh, that's actually when I used... Well, anyways, so that's what I'm talking about when it comes to the new model. We need to be solution-oriented, not just trying to paste over the problem and then finding out that we're just, you know, delaying the inevitable of a broken system. Um, do you want to do the family-friendly one, Aubrey? Or do you want me to try it? Well, I just wanted to say one other thing on the new model. Um, the world is recognizing that the way we do agriculture is not sustainable. And as Adventists, as people who have an incredible amount of understanding and knowledge, even though we might not have it in our brains, we have it in books that are probably sitting on our shelves, we have the opportunity to be at the forefront. The world is recognizing, hey, this is not working. We can't last much longer. And as Adventists, are like, there's a better way to do this. There is a better way. And... There are people in the world that are finding that, and yet we have it. We've known it for 150 years. Um, so we, we can also help not only in, in returning to, you know, to finding the, the what, to the solution to the problems, but also being frontiers, in essence, on, on helping improve our situation. Granted, we know that the world has its an ultimate end. It's not going to last forever. We're not in the process of improving the earth, but we are called to be good stewards of the earth. And as Christians, this is one of my pet peeves, because we come from the Bible Belt. Generally, Christians aren't the ones that are taking care of the world. They're the ones helping destroy the world. And I think that should not be the case. I think Christians should be at the forefront of taking good care of what God has given us. So that kind of ties into the new model. Family-friendly. So one thing that we absolutely love is the family-friendly aspect of doing market farming. Uh, we have the privilege of working with both our parents and our grandparents. Um, 
and it's just fantastic. There's something for everybody to do and more than that. Alan and I frequently tell our parents, we don't understand why you stopped at two kids. Like, obviously you were not thinking farming when you had kids <laughs> because you, it would be really helpful to have two more siblings. Um, so it's like, you know, it's just, for those of you who have large families, bless you. Your children will sing your praises because Alan and I are just like, this is a big load for two kids. Um, but it's great. Our grandparents are involved with us. Our parents are actively involved with us and really helping support what we're wanting to do. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to go with the next one. Do you want to oh, finish that one? Uh, yeah, that, so I'm finished okay, with that one. So good. it's family friendly. It's fantastic. So personal health. There's nothing about small-scale agriculture other than stress, which is something that the Lord is daily working with me. And this is what goes back to what Larry was talking about, is that this this putting our will on the side of Christ, allowing him to say, Lord, I trust you, you know, that, that, that can't, that, I think that's the biggest issue that small-scale growers deal with. Well, okay, that might be a blanket statement. I don't know, maybe it's not a blanket statement. Boy, I sure deal with it, but maybe someone else doesn't, you know, who knows. Um, but the idea is that I'm not sitting at a desk all day. I have a varied disciplines that I've been involved in, um, you know, we're able to eat off the farm, so the nutritional aspect is, is just there. I mean, it, well, I mean, look, we were built to be in the Garden of Eden, so we shouldn't expect to have amazing results by going back to that ideal or that, that original design. And so, um, and then also, I don't know if this, I'll cover that in community health, I guess, but it, it, it's, it's self-explanatory. We don't need to spend much time on that. Should I mention my aspect real quick? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> all right. So personal health. I, um, I think one of the main reasons why I find agriculture so incredible <clears throat> is that I, the last several years, depression is something that, I don't know, runs in our family, but there's a certain line in our family that has a history of struggling with depression, and I happen to be one of those people in that line that struggle with depression, and about six years ago, yeah, I had a really, really extreme bout, um, not, not a good situation, and looking at me now, well, huh, looking at me now might not be exactly mm. the greatest, you're like, why is Aubrey, huh? mm -hmm. that's a different reason, um, but it was really, really a bad situation, I, just to be perfectly frank with you, I was suicidal, and just in a really bad bad spot in my life and it was just at that time that my brother came back from his internship at the Die Singers and we started farming and I got outside with him Where was I going to you just got back from your internship and we started farming yes this was okay. winter of 2013 okay. Very good. and over the course of three months my depression rating went from highly severe to totally non-trackable, like it didn't even register on the test. To me, that's an incredible testimony. I mean, because I've, I've always eaten healthy, I've always, you know, there's health principles that I've observed, but there was something that the Lord, that my regular way of doing things wasn't fixing, and the Lord put agriculture in there just at the time that I needed it the most, and, and the doctor that I was going to, Dr. Nedley, for any of you who have heard of him, um, he goes, I, this is just incredible. Because like three months before, he's like, you know, we really need to put you on 
medication because it's just just to help get this under control and I'm like well let me try an experiment and I started working with Alan and three months later I went back in and he's like you don't even have depression I was like praise the Lord so since then it's like this is really really important getting out there getting involved in agriculture I mean I God used agriculture to save my life and so it's like this is really really cool and I've seen it work in other people's lives. So there's something fundamentally important about being involved in agriculture. So that's the personal health. Do you want to do the community health? Okay, so, and then this. This is our last point. So the community health. Because we are doing this, we're selling, and it's wonderful, we're selling a product that we really believe in that is actually going to bring healing to people that's hopefully going to restore their health in the aspect of that entering wedge where we're not just telling people to eat better, we're actually providing them the product to actually eat better is just an amazing thing. And um, my dad help, dad works uh, with a health organization, um, and he, the statistics are not good in the United States. The problem, and when, when you look at our health care dollars as far as where they go to, 80% of what we spend on healthcare in the United States are preventable diseases. Diseases that if someone just ate differently, they wouldn't have them. That's a huge number. And so it's, it, it's definitely a daunting task, but to be able to be kind of the hands and feet of a, of a local situation where we're reaching people at a fundamental level, because that means, technically speaking, that 80% of our customers are dealing with these issues. So that's a huge swath. And so not only is it, is it a spiritual matter, but I believe as an American, it's a very patriotic thing to try to help stem this issue. And um, I mean, I tell sometimes I tell our customers, I'm look, look, the, the most patriotic thing you can do for our country right now is to eat differently, okay? So it's not just a spiritual matter, it's also a matter of the viability of our nation because that's a huge part of where our national debt's going. It's like more than defense, all these things like combined is just in this one area. It's, it's just, it's, a, it's an amazing problem and we're hoping that as we grow our farms, we would love to start possibly even working with our local school system and just, it's a big issue. It's a huge issue. And um, so we're really excited that we're able to be a, a practical hands and feet in that area. And because you provide people food, they naturally think that somehow you're an expert in food. So they'll come up and like, I've got this health problem, or I have this person who has it, you know, and here, I'm 25, he's 23. Wait, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'm not exactly <laughs> what you would classify as a physician. And oh. yet people come up and they're like, you know, and I'm like, you know, if you just, you did this, and all of a sudden they're asking me for health counseling, which, I mean, it's like, this is, these are basics, but the, the sad thing is people don't even know the basics, you know? And so you can just put in simple things that radically change their life and there's and then they're like you know I've got this other problem and you know and you're just like okay you know all from God is good being there letting the Lord so that goes back to the summary of so what we do we we currently provide fresh local produce to our community and we hope to expand that reach a little bit more in how we provide the fresh local produce how do we do it through agriculture but it's all about being willing to let the Lord use us as living channels all the time. The agriculture helps 
promote helps us accomplish the why and what we do is a fresh local produce. So I hope that gives you a little bit of an overview. It's like the skim of the surface. I hope that inspires you and kind of helps set the groundwork for the next several hours as we delve into the more nitty-gritty of, of how these things are accomplished. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.